Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Zandi, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined by uh, a bevy of colleagues, my two co-hosts, uh, Chris Dorides. Chris uh, is the Deputy Chief Economist. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mark. How are things? A little bit gray here in Philadelphia. Uh, well, I'm not going to brag about things down here in Florida. I mean, it, it's summertime, baby, down here, <laughs> yeah. uh, at least for today. Uh, and Marissa Di Natale. Marissa, Hi, Mark. good to see you. It's nice to see you. you hey, I would say springtime in Southern California. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, uh, you know, I, um, uh, maybe this is too personal, but my, my daughter's got engaged. Oh, and, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, Congrats. I'm very happy. Uh, the, the fellow he, she's uh, going to marry is a great guy. Uh, that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. But, <laughs> you know, um, anyway, we went looking for venue uh, for the wedding. And we were in St. Michael's, Maryland, oh. you know, the Eastern Shore. Yeah. I'd never been. Yeah. Have you guys it's been nice. there? Yeah. yeah, it's really cute little town. Yeah, yep. I liked it. And the thing that struck me was there was a, a, a daffodil that had bloomed. And it was, <clears throat> you know, just in all its glory out there. And this was February, what, 10th in a daffodil that's how crazy warm it's been in the northeast and much of the much of the world i think i'm not sure i'm not sure what to make of that uh, certainly enjoyed it when it while i was there but you know it makes me a little nervous about summer dead ahead i'm not sure uh anyway and we got bernard bernard yaros bernard good to have you back yeah happy to be here it's been a while mm -hmm. bernard is um i have to say uh moody's analytics renaissance man did, you know, he, 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 he's, he's like, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, Bernard, you're almost like Forrest Gump. You know, you, you end up being everywhere all the time in the right place at the right time. I don't know how you do it, but you do it. Uh, and you, you, you make a valuable contribution. So we're really, I'm really thrilled to have you here and you're going to do double duty. Uh, because uh, we're going to talk about the the debt limit. You have a you do all our estimates of the X date when the treasury is going to run out of cash and someone's mm -hmm. not going to get paid. And we're going to talk about that. And um, also, you are covering the inflation statistics uh, on economic view. Of course, we got a lot of economic statistics this uh, uh, inflation statistics this week, and we'll come back to that. We'll play the game, the statistics <clears throat> game, and um, we have a couple of listener questions that we're. If we have time, we'll uh, dive into that as well. So uh, that sounds like a pretty action-packed podcast. What do you guys think? Yeah? Yep. Sounds good to me. We'll keep okay. it to under two hours. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Have you noticed, though, the, the podcasts end up being one hour and 10 minutes, no matter what we do somehow? You know, we say, oh, this is, we're going to make this one short. It's an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, this one's going to be longer. It's an hour and 10 minutes. Have you noticed that? It's, yes. a, it's a regularity. It's like a, a law of physics or something. I'm not sure why. Stamina. Is that what it is? That's exactly when I run out of juice, probably. We all run out of juice. We all do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've had a lot of debate about how long these podcasts should be, right? A lot of people tell, you know, like my brother says, uh, you know, it should be a lot shorter, like a half hour, 45 minutes. And then, but, but people, a lot of people say, no, we want, we want, give me, give me more, give me longer. So I think an hour and 10 is okay. Yeah. Even our hour and a half webinar this week. We had people saying, "Yeah, right." We had a little this, bit short; could have been longer. Yeah. No. Well, you know, I think you know what I think it is. I think people like to work out to our podcast, and you need you need an hour 
to work out and maybe five minutes to begin, five minutes to end while you're stretching and trying to think about, well, do I really want to do this or oh, I'm not so sure I want to do it? Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. So it takes about an hour and 10 minutes. Maybe that's what it is. That's a theory. So the, the stats game is the, the cardio section about high, more higher. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's where the heart gets pumping <laughs> in the in the stats game. That's right. Yeah. Got it. Uh, anyway. Okay. Very good. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's uh, talk about uh, the key statistic of the week, and that was the Consumer Price Index, CPI, uh, inflation measure. Uh, Bernard, do you want to give us a rundown on that, uh, your perspective on uh, what what the numbers are and what, they, and what they're saying about inflation? Of course. Um, so there was a lot to unpack, uh, not just the numbers themselves, but also a lot of methodological changes. So we also got seasonal adjustments to the consumer price index over the last year. And normally, again, no, no, normally in normal years, we don't care about these seasonal adjustment updates, but they did tr uh, change the trajectory of inflation over the past year. So it, it turns out that inflation was just not quite as fast or strong as it was as we had thought during the summer, during last summer. But it did tell us that uh, these new seasonal factors did show that inflation ended last year a bit firmer than we had uh, previously thought. So annualized over the prior three months in uh, core, CP, core CPI inflation, so CPI excluding food and energy, was running at a, at a rate about 4%, whereas previously we had thought that it was closer to uh, 3%. So um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, there was a lot of hand-wringing about what this meant. I, I think this was just further news that inflation is proving stickier than maybe we had all hoped for. Um, can I, uh, and can I other... stop you right there just for mm -hmm. a second? Because I, I, had, I had missed what you said earlier about it lowering the rate of inflation back in the summer. So in my mind's eye, the peak in inflation as measured by the Consumer Price Index was in June of 2022. Exactly. We hit 9% year over year. Is that still yeah, the so case? It, uh, so annualized over three months, it was 8% in, in June of last year. It, it ended up being a lesser 7%, which is still high, but just not quite as high. Uh, so is year over year peak still 9%, do you know, in June? Uh, it's Year over year, it's still 9 But when you look at yeah, the okay. month to month and the annualized, you know, when you look over shorter timeframes, it's it's changed. Yeah, and I, and I want to come back to talk about seasonal adjustment broadly because it's effect, it feels like to me- it, it, It's affecting everything. Everything, all the data- and I'm not so sure I believe the current data. Why Why do you think it's any better than the data we had before the revision? Because, mm -hmm. well, we'll come back to that. that that's the you know something we need to discuss. But anyway, go, go on, go on. Um, and then the next uh, major update was we're getting new weight. Uh, we had new weights uh, for um, this, uh, for the January CPI, and there's even a new weighting methodology. So starting this year, uh, the BLS is going to be updating the spending weights that it uses to calculate the CPI every year rather than every two years. So spending weights are essentially the share of total household consumption. It goes towards each good and service that makes up the CPI. So food, for example, counts for roughly 14% of the CPI, and that's you know meant to approximate the share of a household budget that goes towards food. So this new weighting uh, methodology, it's its a big improvement. You know, we should care about it because it's going to improve the accuracy and the relevance of the CPI. So just to give, you know, the example of now, as of the January CPI, we're using weights that reflect 2021 spending patterns, whereas under the old methodology, we would have been using weights that reflected 2019 to 2020 consumer spending patterns, uh, which would have been problematic uh, given that, you know, how much we've been talking about how the pandemic has scrambled uh, consumer spending patterns. So this is definitely an improvement over 
um, you know, over the prior methodology, uh, it it eases some of the concerns that I think we have with seasonality, but it, it, it's definitely an improvement, especially after the pandemic. Yeah, can I stop you there? So, uh, you know, my intuition is that by adopting weights that are more uh, timely, Mm-hmm. And especially if it we're now using 2021 weights, that's we still had a a, a lot of spending on goods. Uh, on exactly, yeah. Because uh, yeah. during the teeth of the pandemic, we were stuck home. We bought stuff. We couldn't go travel. We couldn't go to restaurants. We bought stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, the prices and inflation for goods has been inflated, mm-hmm. I mean, significantly juiced because of the pandemic, the supply chain issues, and also the shift in demand. Right, because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of demand for stuff, and that caused prices to go. So, my intuition is that this adjustment to have more timely spending weights in the in the particular in this particular time would serve to push up measured inflation, not not down. Did, it, am I am I wrong there, or did you the, have you looked into that? So we've some of the most notable changes in the weights was actually the the used car uh, CPI used got vehicle. or the, the used vehicle weight actually got cut almost in half for pretty significantly. So that means that any swings in this pretty volatile component shouldn't, you know, won't cause as much um, you know variation in, in the in the core CPI. Then the shelter uh, shelter um, the weight to shelter increased notably at least by a percentage point. In terms of its weight of uh, the core CPI, so as we'll talk about more, that's bad and for again, the near term. That, but yeah. that would that would lift measured inflation, right? Because we, exactly, yeah, we saw we've seen experienced a surge in the cost of housing services going back to the very strong rent growth a year year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And so, if you put a higher weight on the, on housing services, that's going to push up measured inflation, mm-hmm. right? At least yes. compared to where we were. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the adoption of these more timely weights had a material impact on, you know, kind of how we think about inflation now that it's higher or lower compared to what it was before? Has it juiced things up or weighed things down or had no meaningful impact? I, uh, as we'll talk about a bit more later, the shelter, when, when it comes down to the core CPI or CPI, it's really shelter that matters the most given yep. its, you know, preponderance. Um, and given it, and you know, I, I saw something that, that I think the weight uh, CP uh, shelters uh, weight in the core CPI is now the largest it's been over since at least the late 1990s. So that means that as we continue to get very high shelter price increases um, uh, in these next months, that's you know that I think that's uh, that's going to create more upside risk for for CPI inflation. Really, I, I in the okay. near term, yeah. Really, I I thought just the opposite because now we're going to get the cost of housing services growing more slowly because rent growth has gone flat. That's going to translate into lower cost of, and if we put a higher weight on it, that's going to actually push measured inflation down lower compared to what otherwise would have been. Yeah. No, I I would say that disinflation we're going to get from shelter that's coming, but it's going to come mid, mid, mid year. Okay, fine. For for, for the net, I'm saying like very near term. A very near term. Yeah. February, March, April, uh, it, it's going to be. But, uh, but you see where my line of questioning is going, right? I, I'm. It feels like to mm-hmm. me the the change, certainly in terms of the weighting, has pushed up inflation com- compared to where measured inflation compared to where we thought it was. And but going forward later in the year, it's going to actually do the opposite. So exactly. it feels yeah. like inflation is all really hyped up, more hyped up than we thought here. Mm-hmm. To your point about four percent three-month annualized CPI core inflation. 
but that mm-hmm. in fact, not in the not too distant future, is going to be starting to work in the other direction. And exactly. inflation should come exactly. in more quickly. Would you agree with that characterization? Uh, yeah, what, you would. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Sorry, yeah. I, I know but, I'm interrupting, but there's there's a lot to unpack. No worries. <laughs> yeah. Go go ahead. So guess, um. Okay. Oh well, Chris has something to ask. Go ahead. Go, go ahead, Chris. Sure. I mean, BLS provides a comparison, right, before and after the weights on their site, right? I, my read is they that do. The, yeah. Yeah. The the changes small on the overall Im- impact is very small, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about basis points, right? So. There is, yeah, I think it's all consistent with what you're saying, Mark. But I don't think it's. It's not. It doesn't add up a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, okay. Picture here. Okay. All right. So I'll take a deeper dive now into the actual numbers of the CPI. So the CPI. He's, 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 he kind of paused because yeah. he's, yeah. he's he's now a little gun shy. He knows I'm going to stop. Sorry about that, Bernard. Uh, fire away. I'll leave you alone for uh, so, three seconds, maybe. Go ahead. <laughs> So as we expected, you know, the CPI rose 0.5% uh, in January. So this comes after smaller gains of 0.1% in December and 0.2% in November. So the main takeaway I would say with uh, from this is that we are still getting disinflation on a year-over-year basis. So year-over-year, uh, year, the headline CPI was up 6.3%, which is the slowest since October 2021. But um, what this is telling us is that you know, this disinflationary process is going to be a bumpy road. It's uh, not to quote the Beatles, but it could be a you know a bit of a long and winding road. It's not going to be a straight path, as you've been as as you've said. Um, and uh, you know, there's there were a lot of one-time factors that pushed it up. Um, there were a lot of one-time factors working in both ways in in, in this particular report. So if we focus on you know these typical the volatile most volatile components like uh like energy for example energy prices went from a, a drag to a big driver of the index so we saw gasoline prices rising unfortunately pr- uh, gasoline prices if you look at um at current prices they're a bit higher than their january average so this is probably going to be sticky through uh through february but we did see a one time jump in the cpi for energy services and in particular we saw seven, like a close to 7% rise in the cpi for utility gas services, uh, which refers to natural gas. Um, and this is obviously something that's going to hit home with Marissa because this was largely driven by yep. California. Um, uh, this The BLS does uh, produce uh, CPI estimates for uh, the major census regions. Um, and in the West, uh, natural gas bills were up, uh, according to the BLS, by about uh, 37%. Um, and this this goes to you know Southern California Gas Company and San Diego Gas and Electric, which implemented new uh, natural gas and electric rates that were up, I think, more than a double, you know, more than double from where they were a year ago. This is a one-off because natural gas prices are are falling in the in 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 the earlier you know in the, in the early part of this year, and all forecasts really are for wholesale natural gas prices to come down over the rest of this year. So I wouldn't expect this uh, to really be a contributor. Uh, uh, in in February and going forward, um, even though you know motor fuel prices, I think will will, will boost uh, headline inflation in the, in the next month. Um, then in food prices, we had a bit of an acceleration, um, and uh, the, the CPI for food rose 0.5 percent, which was a bit faster than before. But on a year over year basis, again, food price inflation is has already peaked. It peaked in August, and it's it's been coming down. And the good news is that we're going to get more food price disinflation. Um, we like to look at the 
the the price of processed consumer foods that domestic pr producers are charging um, because that that typically leads the CPI for food by up to three months. And what we're seeing is that a lot of these wholesale fr prices for for consumer foods have been coming down in recent months. And that's you know that, that that's a good sign that there should be more grocery store relief for. Um, consumers uh, going forward. So um, energy, I think, is a mixed bag. I think we'll get a uh, gasoline. We might get a bit of a higher read for uh, for energy next month, but for food, I, th I I would bet that we continue to see a bit more deceleration um, in the near term. Ultimately, we care a lot more about. Or as economists, we like to look at the core CPI, so excluding food and energy, uh, because this is a better gauge of underlying inflation. And the core CPI rose 0.4% for the second month in a row. Um, and annualized over the prior three months, the core CPI um, was up 4.6% in January. So that's a, about three-tenths of a percentage point higher than the December pace. And hence, you know, th uh, that's why everyone is really saying that this uh, January CPI just shows that this is going to be a bumpy road in 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 the path towards disinflation, in the path towards you know the the Fed's two percent inflation target. You, you said uh, you said everyone thinks that, or most yeah. <laughs> Do you think that? Do you think that? I mean, I I, I think it could I, be bumpy yeah, bumpy road. But I mean, how how much weight in your thinking do you put on these? This data. I mean, is your did your view change? Did your forecast for inflation change because of the January CPI and all the revisions to the historical data that occurred with that release? I think I maybe I would push out by a couple of months. You know, when we get to the, you know to to target inflation, but I I still think we're we're going to moderate. It's just maybe a bit longer than I I'd expected. Okay, I'll let you go. I just wanted to get that context to, because we're. Mm -hmm. We're going down and deep into the the bowels of this report. Yeah, People might yeah. get a little lost. I mean, what's the the larger picture? But the larger picture you're saying is okay. Maybe inflation's a bit on the margin more persistent mm -hmm. than I thought, but not a lot more uh, persistent than I thought. That's, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So okay, exactly, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, fire away. So where we're and going basically, then? yeah, and basically the most important, you know, if we shift to shelter, which is. Yeah, the most important component of the core CPI. It's forty-three percent of the core CPI. Um, those actually decelerated slightly uh, in in January. So they uh, so the the most important ones, which are the CPI for tenant rent, and then the CPI for homeowners equivalent rent, which is the hypothetical rent that a homeowner would have to pay themselves to to live in their own homes. Those both rose 0.7 percent, which was a bit less than the 0.8 percent. Uh, gain that that they had in the in the last month. Um, on a euro year over year basis, these have really have yet to top out, and they're at record levels. But as we've been talking about, um, shelter and disinflation is coming down. So uh, there's been some criticism, or some you know people have a lot pointed out that these rent measures in the CPR are lagging indicators, and that's because they they're measuring the change in rent for all tenants. Um, but because most renters are locked into long-term leases for up to you know for, for up to 12 months, changes in market rents aren't going to affect every single uh, renter. It's only going to affect those who are moving into new rental units. So it's this broader scope of the CPI for rents, along with you know just uh, delays between when rent changes occur and when the BLS is survey surveying these units. You get a you, you get quite a bit of a lag between changes that we're seeing in market rents and changes in the CPI for rent. Um, and one interesting thing is that the BLS has come out, you know, they created their own repeat rent index, 
based on their rent micro data. And, and, and this one is just is not looking at all tenants. It's only looking at new tenants who are moving in recently. And year over year growth in this uh, new tenant repeat rent index um, peaked in the second quarter of 2022 at about 12 percent. Uh, but in the following quarter, it really decelerated to half that pace. And uh, the takeaway from from the BLS analysis was that uh, this new tenant repeat rent index typically leads the CPI for rent by about four quarters. So if this relationship continues to hold, that means that we should see the CPI for rent to really turn a corner in mid uh, 2023. And that and once that happens, that's really going to be a big deal in terms of getting less uh, and really getting disinfl- disinflation, getting less, uh, you know, lower monthly as well as year over year CPI prints. Um, so that's that's a big deal. It will happen. It's just like we have to be a bit patient in the next couple of months. Great. Uh, and I'm sure we, we, when we go around the horn here and hear from Chris and, and Marissa, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the one thing I, I wanted to ask you about, uh, because you we were going back and forth on this over the past week, is the <laughs> so-called super core inflation, mm-hmm. which is the uh, services in, uh, inflation in services that exclude energy services and mm-hmm. housing services. Uh, and this is uh, come to the fore because Jay Powell, the chair of the Fed, has uh, shown a light on this saying, hey, look, the these these this inflation is tied back into the cost of labor uh and uh, the cost of labor is something we the fed can inf- influence through monetary policy by slowing the economy slowing job growth slowing wage growth and uh w- w- what did you learn there uh, based on the work that you did there because actually you know it surprised me actually measuring super core inflation from the cpi is a bit of a project it's not like yeah, yeah. and, and, and I will be working it. with the yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we're, we're going to be working with uh, the data team to really construct yeah and you, this you went back and forth it. with the yeah. to make sure that you constructed it the, the mm-hmm. appropriate way so mm-hmm. so so what is what what did that say uh, because that's also really critical to getting inflation back down to the Fed's target unless service price super core service price inflation gets back in the box and in the bottle. Mm-hmm. We're never going to get back to target, so this is really also important. So what it is? Yeah, I, I, yeah. So I, so on a year-over-year basis, the CPI for core services, excluding shelter, that has been decelerating over the past couple of months. It's running at a at about a rate of six right now at about six point one percent. And other estimates that I've seen of the of the CPI for core services suggest that it uh, rose 03 percent in January after rising 04 percent. So that actually moved in the right direction. Um, and uh, as you know, as Jay Powell has r- uh, rightfully said, these this is important because in, uh, wage growth really matters a lot for these uh, services, which are uh, very labor and uh, labor intensive. Um, and one thing we've done uh, at Moody's has been we've we created a like an aggregate measure of wage growth that for industries that are really relevant to the CPI for our core services. So this is, you know, we're looking at education, health services, public transportation, you know, car repair services, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And that wage growth in these uh, industries that are relevant to the core, um, to core services, excluding shelter, that peaked in, you know, earlier last year at, at about at close to 9%, but it's come back down to 5%. So that's still, again, still high, but we're, when you look at wage growth, it's still, it's moving in the right direction, maybe a bit slower than we we had hoped, but that should put down, you know, put some downward pressure on, on uh, 
on inflation and in, in core services, excluding uh, housing. Um, one thing I do want to mention is that in the CPI core services, excluding shelter, they only it only accounts for about 30% of the core CPI. And the reason that Jay Powell is putting a lot of emphasis on this is because it accounts for an even larger, more than 50% of the core personal consumption expenditure deflator, which is the Fed's um, uh, preferred measure of um, uh, uh, of inflation. And when we look at the PCE index for core services under uh, other than housing, that's still that's up uh, about 4% uh, annualized over the prior three months. Um, so it's again, it's it's high. It's it, it should be obviously much lower, um, uh, but it's not. It was previously rising, but it's it's sort of stalled out at about four percent. So um, so one one quick point: uh, when you calculate this measure in, in the, the CPI super core uh, in mm-hmm. inflation in CPI, the BLS told us not to use seasonally adjusted data. Yeah, but to use seasonally unadjusted data. So when you talk about three month annualized change, don't we have to take that with a bit of salt? Because that's just that annualized change was for the PCE. Oh, Oh, that was for the PCE. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the for for the yeah. Okay, fine. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is much. It's much easier. The PCE deflator deflator is a much easier index to work. Well, here here broadly is my takeaway from the work that you did here in looking at the data was that. Uh, super core inflation is still hot, but it's yeah. it's moderating very quickly. It's cooling mm-hmm. off, and right now it feels like it's you know kind of sort of four to five percent ish. You know, on a yeah. not not year over year. Year over year is still six, but mm-hmm. the, you saw the strongest growth back almost a year ago in this measure, mm-hmm. and now it's come in maybe maybe four ish percent something around there is that about right yeah is that, is that yeah your I, I, i'd say I, i'd say yeah. we're range bound between you know four to five percent but closer four to five percent yeah okay yeah. okay fine okay um okay that that's any anything else in the bowels of that report you want to call out i, I would say the biggest surprise was really used car prices so they fell 1.9 percent uh, and this is there's been a string of uh declines of about two percent or you know 1.5 percent or more um, and this was surprising because I, you know, this, this was a big concern of mine that uh, if you look at wholesale used car uh, uh, prices as measured by the Mannheim, uh, yeah, as measured by Mannheim Consulting, um, you actually saw the largest seasonally adjusted increase in these in wholesale used car prices in January just because of stronger, uh, unseasonably strong demand. Um, and typically, these wholesale prices lead the CPI for used car price uh, for um, CPI for used cars vehicles by a few months. So I wouldn't count going forward. I, I just wouldn't count on uh, such large declines in the in the CPI for used car vehicles, um, at least for the next couple of months. What about new, new vehicles? New, de- new decelerated. Uh, so it's still new, going up. Yeah, it's still going up, but it it rose only 0.2 percent, whereas it rose 0.6 percent in the prior month. And presumably, at some point, that it's got to come back to earth, right? Because that's been yeah, exactly. like straight yeah. up, you know. Yeah, yeah. As supply chains did, e, e, yeah. Uh, improve, and we get J- Japan and Germany get their production back up. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. So, uh, all right. Well, I was going to do my soliloquy, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stop and turn to you, Marissa. That was a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there any piece of that, or uh, that you want to chew on, or broadly say something about what Bernard put forth? Well, I here? can personally attest to the natural gas 
increase here. I have SoCal gas. And just to give you some perspective of how shocking the increase was in December, my gas, and I have a little house, like 1200 square feet, barely. My gas bill was around seventy. Worth a lot of money. I, I yeah. Marissa <laughs> thinks, uh, oh, oh, poor Marissa. No, Marissa is incredibly wealthy woman. Just so, just so you know. Hey, but, my 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 house prices here are falling, Mark. So. Oh yeah, yeah. They, less wealthy than I was. Went up eighty percent. Come back <laughs> you know, Okay, sure enough. Anyway, my gas bill went from seventy five dollars in December to three hundred and fifty dollars in January. Say that again. What was it? So, from seventy five dollars in December to wow. three hundred and fifty dollars in January. Wow. And that's that's pretty typical. You know, my sister called me screaming when she saw her gas bill for her house. That's, that's much bigger, but, and, and they warned customers that that was going to happen well in advance. Um, But they've since sent out emails saying, well, now natural gas prices fell 70% in February. So your gas bill is going to be much lower next month. And we're going to give everybody a credit back. Oh, cool for kind of the end of the month when that started happening in January. So definitely, I think underscores why when when we look at inflation, to Bernard's point, we want to exclude generally energy and food because these prices are so incredibly volatile and the markets for them are influenced by stuff that's kind of beyond the control of, of policymakers for the most part, right? Well, you know, I just want to push back on that a little bit, maybe a lot, actually, in the current context, because I do think energy prices, particularly gasoline prices, have a lot to say about inflation expectations, you know, how people perceive inflation is going to be in the future. And that, I think, had a big impact on uh, uh, wage demand. Wages, Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think generally, uh, you're absolutely right, you know, totally agree, if you want to do a if you want a good forecast of of the of inflation, you go to core the recent core inflation. That'll give you a much better forecast than looking at actual overall inflation because energy, as you said, as you pointed out, energy and food go up and down all around. But in the current context, I think energy, particularly gasoline prices, are playing a incredibly important role in in determining overall inflation because of its impact on inflation expectations. So we can't discount the importance of that. Right. Anyway. I guess my my point was more that. The FOMC can't do much about gas prices or energy yeah. prices, right? Yeah. So right. just in terms of policy making and why they're there, they exclude it is because they're trying to look at what they believe is in their control when it comes to monetary policy. Um, and Great. I guess just the 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 overall takeaway on the report, mm-hmm. I mean, it it reminds me of when we're talking about the jobs report and just this, you know, much stronger. Well, this was in line with our forecast, Um, but these, these blips in the data. And uh, again, I think it just goes to, you can't look at one month of data and be whipsawed by one month of data to change your thinking. there's seasonality issues, I think, abound in all of the economic data that's been coming out, not only because of literally the seasonality in terms of the weather, but just also the seasonal factors that are in this data now based on the last few years that are all screwed up because of the pandemic. So um, it doesn't 
it doesn't change my overall thinking about inflation. I agree. It may not be down, down, down every single month in a straight line, but I don't think this means we need to be more worried than we were, you know, a couple months ago. A couple months ago. Yeah. You may, and you make a really good point about the seasonality. It's it's not only the weather and the weather, obviously January was a incredibly warm month and creating havoc in the seasonal adjustments, particularly in the jobs data. We discussed that, yeah. you know, back a week or two ago, uh, but the so-called residual seasonality, the seasonality introduced in the data because of the pandemic effects on the labor, on the labor market and the economy, when it shut down and then reopened very quickly back in uh, early 2020, that really messes with the statistical techniques that the government agencies like the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, use to tease out that seasonality in the, in the data. So right. I totally agree. Chris, what do you think? Uh, what's your perspective on on uh, the report? So I'm curious if uh, Marissa's going to go electric now. If she's going <clears> to <throat> yeah, get, gonna get the heat pump installed, take advantage of the IRA. No, I think I'll stick with gas for the time well, being. But she, I mean, because she just went through a massive renovation, right? Didn't it's you? It's still going on. Oh, it's still going on? Oh, so there's still time to- Now's go. the time. Now's the time. No, I should yeah. go solar. There you go. I should do. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of the report- I, didn't really change my uh, perspective. I, I do think it, you know, the data is never as smooth or as straight line as you might imagine. So there are going to be little bumps along the road, but I don't see this as taking us off course. And also, um, I think we alluded to a couple of these uh, lags in the lag defects in the data, right? So the natural gas is one good example where gas prices are coming down. So that's going to get reflected uh, in the in the next CPI or future CPIs. If you look at the wholesale market for some of the food commodities like eggs, well, they've plummeted, but they're not really reflected in the uh, CPI just yet. So I think you, you don't want to read too much into to a single month. And then the rents, of course, right? We already alluded to that as well. That's just going to take time for those rent declines to make their way through the uh, through the reports. But still, the, the downward trend seems intact. Yeah. Um, that- I think maybe the because uh, there was so much moving, so many moving parts here in this discussion. Maybe let me just give you my forecast for hmm. CPI inflation and and explain it briefly, and then get your reaction to it. <clears throat> so, and it's consistent with our baseline uh, for, forecast, the Moody's forecast. So, <clears throat> uh, and I hope I have the data right, but you know the peak in CPI inflation was June of 2022, and I'm saying year over year, uh, was about 9%. I think it was 9% on the nose. As of January of 2023, we're down to 6.3% year over year. By December of 2023, I expect it to be somewhere between 3 and 3.5% year over year. And by spring, summer of 2024, I expect it to be within spitting distance of the Fed's inflation target, which for CPI inflation is probably somewhere around two and a half percent, maybe two and a quarter, two and a half percent. And I said, there's a few reasons to be optimistic and I feel confidently optimistic about the inflation outlook. <clears throat> First, cost of housing services. I, I very confident that's happening because rents have gone flat and that will translate into lowered measure cost of housing services. As you said, uh, Bernard, it takes about a year for that to translate through. But the peak in in market rent uh, growth was back now just about a year ago. So by the second half of this year, 
we're going to get some real uh, nice moderation in the cost of housing services, which for the CPI, as you pointed out, is a it's a big chunk of the of the of the of the index. Uh, second reason you, you mentioned food prices I, that that's coming in that's going to come in you, you know, the egg prices is just an example but you know broadly speaking as you pointed out Bernard if you look at the PPIs they kind of lead the CPI and we'll come back to the PPI in a minute because I want you to talk about that Bernard the producer price index uh, that feels like that's going to start coming in on on uh, with regard to food uh, ve- new vehicle prices they're going to fall uh, they're going to come you know we are going to see and they have gone literally straight north here you know since the supply chain issues became a problem back in the delta wave of the virus you know in late 2021 when all the chip plants in 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 asia shut down and you know global vehicle producers couldn't produce so we're going to get a lot of benefit there and you know i i do think labor costs are coming in you look at wage growth you know of all the measures we look at they they do indicate very strongly that wage growth has hit a peak and is now moderating, you know, pretty quickly. And that goes back to inflation expectations. Inflation expectations have come in because uh, we have seen gasoline prices come down and and uh, people are feeling a little bit better about things. So I, I, I feel actually quite confident that inflation is going to come in in a reasonably graceful way. Bumps for sure, but mostly measurement issues in my view, not not reality. You know, it's just the vagaries of the data, timing issues around the survey, seasonal adjustment, you know, so forth, the weather effects, that kind of thing. But uh, broadly speaking, you know, we, we should see a reasonable, graceful, graceful moderation in inflation. And that did not change with that CPI number that came out on uh, on Tuesday, this past Tuesday. Okay. Uh, I'll stop there. Bernard, what do you think? Uh, take any umbrage with that? Uh, or, no, I, I agree. I agree. Pretty good. I, it, it, I think it's going to really come down to shelter, and that's that for sure. We know is going to happen, and when it does, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Marissa, would you take exception to any of that? No, yeah. I, I agree. Oh. And now shelter is okay. more important in the measure of inflation in the CPI, right? Yeah. So just at least by the measured data, it it could be even faster and larger. Yep. Yep. Chris, <clears throat> seem reasonable to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of uncertainty. Eyes, eyes open for the other risks, right? Yeah. That Russia, Ukraine goes on. Could very well be some other shocks there. China reopening, but yep. but assuming that those are reason handled reasonably well, then the narrative makes sense. Yeah. Okay. We got two other inflation numbers, more tertiary. People don't pay as much. Well, although this week it felt like the equity and bond market did pay attention to the PPI, the producer price index. And then we also got import export prices this morning. I don't know if you cover those, Bernard, but can you just explain to people what is the PPI and how much weight should they put on it when thinking about inflation more broadly? And and then we can talk about the import export prices uh, briefly. Yeah. So the producer price index also that I think that was maybe a market mover because it increased more than expected. So it rose uh, 0.7% in January. Uh, uh, but again, this was largely driven by strong, by much higher uh, energy prices, which again, as we're saying, is it's 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 likely a one-off. Um, whereas, uh, and then we saw food, you know, the the producer price index for uh, for foods dropped 1%. So that, that that's a pretty meaningful drop. And that's also something that augurs for lower consumer f- uh, prices uh, on the food side. Um, maybe one concern 
that I had, and again, I, I think I should have started with this, you know, producer prices, this is essentially, these are prices that uh, suppliers will charge businesses and, and, and governments and other customers for, uh, for, for goods and services. Um, you know, one thing that I think was a bit concerning when I looked that? was- I mean, uh, just, just to make it clearer to the listener- I, I always thought mm -hmm. of producer prices kind of like wholesale prices. It's not, you know, oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you and I pay at the store at the gas pump, but it's, you mm -hmm. know, it's one step back, you know, it's what wholesalers are exactly. charging, you know, uh, retailers and gasoline stations mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. Is that fair characterization? Yeah, that's a fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Go ahead. All right. Um, so uh, one thing that I, I think was a bit concerning was that if you look at the PPI for goods, excluding food and energy, that did accelerate to 0.6%. But uh, again, I, I have a hard time seeing that really stick just because, you know, we've updated recently our supply chain stress index and that continues, global su supply chains are continuing to heal. Um, you know, if we if, if our forecast for, for growth is right, I mean, we should see lower demand. So I don't see uh, that acceleration in, in core goods really sticking for a while. Um, so, you know, overall, I, I just felt that this the, the PPI just, uh, you know, hammered home the message that uh, as the CPI that this is, it, you know, this is going to be a bumpy ride, but I still think we're on the right path. Uh, the sharp increase in energy, that's not going to stick for longer. And, and we're seeing good uh, developments in food. Um, if you want to move to the import. Yeah. Price, yeah. yeah. So Go import ahead. prices um, there, we saw kind of a div uh, a divergence. So. Uh, total import prices fell uh, 0.2%, but this again was this was large. This was due to lower natural gas prices uh, imported uh, and lower uh, imported petroleum prices. Um, but the you know the one concerning thing here was that non-fuel import prices rose 0.3%, uh, um, and this was you know the second uh, monthly gain in non-fuel import prices after. I think it was a streak of about seven uh, monthly declines for most of um, 2022. Um, and this matters because non-fuel import prices, they matter the most for consumer prices here in the U.S. And um, I think this has a lot to do with uh, the recent dollar depreciation that we've had in recent months. Um, however, again, here, it, and, and the dollar will affect import prices with a lag, you know, by one to two months. So some of the strong depreciation that we got towards the end of the year, I think that's starting to have an effect really on these core input, input, uh, import prices. Um, but that said, you've seen just this month, you've seen th there's been a pop in the dollar. It, it, it hasn't fully reversed the depreciation that we've gone over the past couple of months, but, uh, really after the, the jobs report, you saw higher, <clears throat> The, the the dollar did increase. I think month to date, it's it's about a one percent depreciation or or more. Um, and and I, th I think that's just under the expectation of of tighter monetary policy than previously expected. So if we get a stabilization in the dollar, maybe a bit higher, I think that should ease some of the pressure on non-fuel import prices, which should also uh, ease some of the pressures um, on consumer prices down the road. Yeah, just for a little bit of context, the import price these are goods. Right. Yeah, so, these are all and, goods. Yeah. Yeah, and goods are a very small piece of the inflation puzzle, right? Inflation I mean, puzzle. Yeah. So does, you know, import prices are important to watch. You know, particularly if they're moving big time in one direction. Non-fuel import prices, in particular, if they're moving big time in one direction or another. But right now, you know, it's on the margin. It's really not going to mm -hmm. have a big impact one way or the other. Would is that fair to say? Yeah, that, that's fair. Yeah, yes. Okay. Okay. Very yeah. good. 
Um, it, it is interesting to watch market reaction to all the all the data. I, I think uh, the stock market uh, it's kind of hung in there reasonably okay, but gotten a little nervous towards the end of the week here about the inflation numbers. And I did see a couple of uh, folks uh, put in another uh, hike in the federal funds rate target uh, because of uh, the numbers. You know, saying oh, the Fed's going to have to be a bit more aggressive in raising interest rates here to. You know, get the economy where it needs to be to get inflation back in. So um, I, I take a pretty sanguine view of all these numbers. And again, because you just, as Mercer said, can't get swayed by any month's worth of data, particularly in the month of January. But uh, it, it did have some impact on uh, kind of mar market sentiment uh, on the margin, at least. Okay, let's play the game. Oh, uh, before we play the game, any anything else anybody want to say about inflation at this point before we move on to the game? I know you're you're biting at the bit to play the game, but um, no, anything else? No, I don't see any takers. Okay, very good. Let's play the game, the statistics game. We all come up with a statistic. The rest of the group tries to figure what what that is through questions and clues, reasoning. The best question is one that's not so easy. We get it immediately, not so hard. We never get it. And uh, bonus if it's apropos to the uh, topic at hand, which so far has been mostly inflation, but I don't think we should be limited to that. We talked, we threw in a, Bernard probably took somebody's statistic already because he, he mentioned- I took my own statistic. <laughs> your own statistic. Okay. And has, has, has become tradition. Marissa is up first. So Marissa, what's your statistic? It is 22% uh, in January. 22%. Is it uh, an inflation statistic? Sort it of. is inflation-esque. Inflation-esque. Inflation adjacent. Yeah. It, inflation adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this feels like, and I'm just going to take a wild guess just to put, to show my prowess here if, if I'm right. If you're <laughs> right. Lack of humility <laughs> if I'm wrong. <laughs> that comes from the small business survey and it's, the percent it says one of the questions around uh percent of of respondents that are raising prices you're really close oh you're really close okay okay now everybody's got to bow down bow down <laughs> but no, you're wrong i mean okay. you're, you're... Wrong. damn <laughs> compensation people the percent raising compensation it's the percent of small businesses who said they plan to raise compensation oh yeah oh come on Come on, mm -hmm. where is the cowbell for that one? Well, your first guess was about raising prices, so wasn't well, quite yeah, correct. You're right. You're right. You're right. <clears throat> I it was the right survey, though. Yes, you got the right survey. survey. Yep. Yeah. So it's the net. It's a. It's so, a net percentage of respondents in small businesses who say they're going to raise compensation. Hmm. This is down from the previous month when it was 27 percent in December, and this has been coming down pretty steadily since last fall. <clears throat> and now it's back to where it was in about May of 2021. And it's really close to where it was prior to the pandemic as well. So we, I think we forget the job market was also really strong mm. prior to the pandemic and coming into the pandemic. Wage growth was not anywhere near where it was now, but the unemployment rate was quite low. Um, and so it's just a little bit above where it kind of its average for 2018 and 2019. I think it's still, and the reason I picked this is kind of what I said before, right? That um, as Bernard explained, the super core 
inflation um, is watched very closely because the major input to the price of these services is labor costs. So um, this, you know, wages are really important for us to look at. This suggests wages are still going to be rising as they typically are, but at a slower pace, which would be good news um, on the inflation front, particularly core inflation front. Do you know, and this may be an unfair question, but did, did you know the average for that uh, particular uh, survey question over the uh, history of the survey? This It's a long survey. That small business survey yeah, goes, goes back a long time. Do you know what I it is? I think it goes back to the 80s. I can 80s. eyeball it for you. Yeah, yeah just roughly, because I wanted 22. Is that high relative to long-run historical norm, or is that <clears> average? <throat> or I, I guess it's on the high side, but I'm Well, sure. 2020. Oh, oh tw- the value of 22. You're, yeah, you're the value of 22. Is that- um, let's look. Okay. It's, yeah. um, it's high. Yeah, it, it's, it's still, high. It's still okay. high. It's still up there with the peaks that we've seen since the series began. So in the mm. mid-80s, 2000, when the job market was very, very tight, and then prior to the pandemic when we when the job market it was really really tight so it's kind of up there in those peaks the average mm-hmm. looks to be about 15ish i'd 15. say okay yeah and what was the peak in if you go back a few months i'm sure the peak was about a year ago or you know not quite what what, what was the peak can you tell yeah the peak was in uh like march of 22 or april it was i'm going to say march just just now I'm playing my own well, game. Well, well, the peak looks yeah. to be so it it peaked in late 2021, and then it started coming oh, okay. down, and then it and then it kind of hit this peak in October of oh. last year as well. Huh. What's the peak? Um, and then ca- came down again. What and is the peak? What is 32. the peak? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Very good. And I think that, you know, hitting the peak in October, right, I think that goes, again, to your point about this expectation of where inflation is going, often being dictated by energy prices and people feeling the pain of gas prices or um, natural gas prices and, you know, going to employers and asking for more money. So, yep, that was a good one. Very good. Uh, Bernard, Bernard, should I go to you next, or do you want you want you want? Okay, you're up. Yeah, I can go. Yeah, all right. So okay. uh, it's three percent on the nose. Retail sales. Except, what exactly? <laughs> what yeah, is that? well, that's he's yeah, definitely yeah, right. He deserves. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> overall retail sales, right? Yeah. So it's retails nominal retail sales annualized over the past three months. Yes. Um, uh, oh, and th- over the month, right? and over the month, I yeah. think. I think the month over month was three percent on the nose, annualized. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I was looking at it th- over the, you know, over really the past over three the past three months. three months. I don't. It can't be three. No, you mean last three. month in the month of January over December, it was up three percent. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was it fell in November. Is that if I recall correctly? November and December. Right. It fell. Or mm-hmm. it certainly fell into. Remember, December was disappointing. Yeah, I think and, uh, it fell in November and December. I think it did. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. Sure it did. So it's the it's the it's the month of January. Mm-hmm. Retail sales rose three percent over the month of December. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why'd you pick that statistic? Yeah. Again, it's just. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of. So I it, I think a lot of people saw that and were concerned that there's a re, like a real reacceleration in growth. 
Um, you know, I think there's, you know, seasonality issues, uh, warm weather. Um, but also, I, you know, we're looking ahead to next week. I think the, the statistic I'm most excited for next week is personal income because that's probably going to be a blowout number. Right. Can I just stop right there? Can I, yeah. can I stop you right there? I, that That is Bernard. He's excited. I am so excited. <laughs> personal yeah. income report. And you see, he said it in a way that he actually meant it. He's he genuinely excited. Yeah, yeah, genuinely yeah. excited about release. that number. Yeah. Uh, you're so but cool. it's just you yeah. you have a lot of uh, just a lot of factors occurred in in January. It wasn't just the warm weather. You had the largest uh, cost of living adjustment uh, for 66 million uh, Social Security mm -hmm. beneficiaries. This was the largest since the early 1980s. Um, and even last year, I mean, we at one point we were estimating that, uh, you know, at least 150 or so uh, um, or Social Security uh, benefits were falling short of inflation by, you know, by $150 per month or more. Um, so it, it with this very high COLA adjustment um, and inflation set to moderate, you know, I, th I think this large chunk of the population could start to see their purchasing power improve. And then also, if you believe the jobs report, I mean, it wasn't just the that jobs were up, hours were up, and, and and wages were also up. So if you look at the so-called labor income proxy, that suggests also a pretty strong increase in in compensation. So all in all, it's just uh, it just seems like a lot of in January people had a lot more money in their pockets, um, and even inflation. If 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 I'm right, and the in or income rose 1.2 percent, and we only have you know five percent inflation, that means that you know real incomes really went up. Um, and that just gave a lot of purchasing power. And, and that shows up, I think, in the strong uh, retail numbers. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just uh, weather, but it's also just a, a strong consumer that's holding steady. Yeah. yeah. I know you follow tax refunds carefully because I don't know if it's too early. to. It's see. too early, but I would I would last year there was a lot of weird stuff going on because you had the advances on the child tax credit mm. so that. It ultimately, when you looked at aggregate tax refunds last year, they were, you know, they're they're a bit better. But what happened was that you just had fewer people receiving tax re refunds, and for a variety of reasons, those that did receive tax refunds, uh, um, you know, got larger than normal ones. Uh, but uh, it, the tax refunds last year started out a bit slower, but this year, I, I would assume it's going to be more normal, more typical of you know pre-pandemic. Uh, so maybe that uh, played a role. We don't know. But that's really going to play a role now because the tax season doesn't really start. In, it didn't start till end of January. So that okay. was kind of too late. Okay, you fine. really don't have. Um, yep. This is more a story for February. So um, so so February, I will be looking at this closely because uh, that that is an impact. February and March and, and to a lesser extent, April. So. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's, that's a great statistic. And it just highlights everything felt juiced in January. <laughs> Jobs, mm -hmm. retail sales, vehicle sales were boom-like, which obviously feed into retail sales. But I think mm -hmm. when I say boom-like, boom-like relative to what we've been experiencing since the pandemic hit, I was, think it was, what, 15.4 million units annualized new vehicle sales. That's that's pretty strong uh, compared to what we've been seeing. The inflation, it just feels like everything got pumped up a bit uh, you know, by the, by the weather and the seasonals. So can't read too much into it. Okay, that was a good one. Um, all right, Chris, you're up. All right, fifty-eight thousand. Fifty-eight thousand. Is it a statistic? Inflation statistic? No, no. 
It's housing, right? It is housing. Ah. Yeah, yeah single-family units under construction, or no, 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 no. That's yeah. more like seven hundred fifty-eight thousand. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's single-family. Fifty-eight thousand. Um, is it? It has in the housing starts report. It's in the report. Okay. Is it uh, single-family? No. Multifamily. Well, it would oh. be single family under the mortgage definition, but it's not a, it's not one unit. Condos. No, it's no. two to four. Two yes. to four. You got it. Oh my gosh! It's, so it's starts of two to four. No, oh, then you didn't get it. It's permits, a, permits, permits. Yes. Perm. Oh, I didn't get it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. That's an interesting one that you picked. Why'd you pick that? I picked it. You because... thought you'd stump us, is why you picked it. Is that, that's what you thought? No, no, not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if I threw out one point three million, you would have gotten it in a heartbeat. Yeah, but, right. but no, it has another uh, significance, um, right? So uh, the uh, the census reports one unit, two to four unit, and multifamily, which is five plus units. The uh, one unit and the five plus units are all down on a year over year basis, and the single family or one unit significantly, right, down about forty percent. Permits are down for permits. Remotes. That's right. Yeah, permits. Yeah. But for the two to four, they're actually up still slightly, mm. about 2%. Interesting. So maybe, and the data is a bit volatile, so you don't want to read too much in it, but maybe this suggests that there is building going on or builders are planning to do more building, but they are focusing more on a slightly more affordable part of the market. Ah. Right. Maybe it's not so much the uh, cutting back on maybe the, the traditional single family detached and looking more at the two to four. It's still a very small segment, yeah, but it's yeah. growing faster yeah. than the other two, right? Because 58,000 in the grand scheme of things is- It's, it's not much. I think we put up a hundred, we place a hundred thousand manufactured homes every year just for context. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think overall housing starts annualized was 1.3 million to your what you were saying, uh, which is, is actually, let me ask you this. I'm curious what you think. Are we at the, bottom in terms of starts? I mean, we were before, if you go back a year ago, before rates really started to take off, builders had been ramping up production of homes and we were at 1.75, maybe even 1.8 million. Looked like it was headed north because of the housing, affordable housing shortage. And now we're down to 1.3. Do you th think we're pretty close to the bottom in terms of starts or is there more to go there? Well, that's what we've built into the baseline forecast. Right. We, right. But we don't, it's not V-shaped, right? So we might hang out here uh, for a while, but um, you know, yeah. given the, the rest of the forecast, if everything else holds, there is still a lot of underlying demand out there. So yep. I would expect that you know, it, it is, a, and make no mistake, 1.3 million is a very depressed level. Very, very depressed, right? History. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Even if we don't go lower, it's still not not uh, not great. But um, well, because that's really important in terms of economic growth, right? Because mm -hmm. that's right. What that would say if that if we're at the bottom, that would say we're pretty close to the end of the major drag on economic growth from uh, housing construction. There's still more drag to come because of lower house prices, but that plays out over a long period of time. But the real drag, the real hit from housing was in the second half of 2022. We'll still get a bit of a drag in 23 because it's about completions. You know, that's what really matters. But it feels like the worst of the of the headwind created by the housing recession 
may actually, in terms of what it means for GDP and, and maybe even jobs, that might be the we might be pretty close to the wor- end of you know end of the worst of it. Would would do? You, does yeah. that make sense to you? It does. I think so. Yeah. Barring again some other shock, but but at yeah, the same yeah, time, yeah, we're not going to get. Yeah. Don't yeah. expect a boost from housing anytime soon either, though, right? It's going right. to probably maybe at the end of the year, right. things start to really start to pick up again. But right, right. But the okay. drag should be over. Yeah, coming okay. to an end. Okay, I've got a statistic, and I always say I think this is a hard one, uh, and I'd say it again. This I think is a hard one, but really important in my view. Four hundred and seventeen million. 417 million. What do you think? Any questions? Dollars. Do I need to, what is that? Those dollars? Not dollars. And I can't give you the units because that would give it away. Okay. Unless you want me to, to you know, to uh-huh. put you out of your misery. Just wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, quickly. No, no, no. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it is, as uh, I think Marissa put it, did you say tangentially related to inflation? Yeah, tangentially related to inflation, adjacent to or something. Yeah, nice way of saying it. You're on mute, uh, Marissa. But uh, but uh, yeah, it's related to inflation. Is it a is it like natural gas storage or oil inventories or something like that? Oh, baby, way to go! Oh, I thought that was gonna be so. You did a great. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is um, uh, inventories of oil. Uh, 417 million barrels of oil in inventory and the inventory is rising. Uh, and it's, you know, if you look at the broad historical series, you know, going back into the eighties, we've got data back into the eighties, it's pretty high by historical standards, which, you know, is encouraging, uh, you know, we've got these stocks. So if there's any, you know, if demand from China picks up for oil or, you know, there's uh, the Russian production gets more shut in because of the sanctions, and we need more oil. We can draw down those stocks, and that uh, you know is very encouraging. And I think it's one reason why I don't know if you've looked, but gas um, oil prices are really very tame. You know, they come back down. We're today we're back down to seventy five dollars a barrel on WTI, a little over eighty dollars a barrel on Brent. And that's pretty low. That would be consistent with, you know, three buck fifty for a gallon of regular. I know not in California, but in, you know, most of the rest of the country. And that, again, I, 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 we cannot uh, uh, understate the importance of oil and gasoline prices to the inflation outlook. Not only the direct effect, you know, how much we're paying at the pump, uh, the indirect effect on how much we pay in the grocery store because of the diesel cost of getting food from, the farm to the store shelf, but uh, what it all means for inflation expectations, wage growth, and ultimately monetary policy. So we got to keep, you know, oil oil prices have to stay down. And I take a great deal of solace in that. And then if you go look at natural gas storage, uh, it's up 15, 20% above where it was a year ago. And that goes to the warm weather. That goes to the just incredibly warm weather. Uh, here and in Europe. Europe, Europe didn't need as much natural gas as they thought they did because the weather there has been very warm. And so natural gas prices are down. So that, to me, that's really important and very, very encouraging about the inflation outlook going forward. Uh, but very good. That was great. I, I thought that would that was going to be, I could have to put you out of your misery, but you, you got that one. That was great. Okay. Let's, uh, let's double back. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, the debt limit. Because uh, Bernard 
uh, and we are uh, just point of interest. We are going to run a bunch of scenarios, run it through our models and uh, produce uh, scenarios for clients. Uh, and we're going to be doing that over the next few weeks. Uh, uh, but Bern and then Bernard does a yeoman work here trying to figure out, you know, uh, the timing of when the treasury uh, uh, is going to run out of cash. As everyone knows, the treasury, we have hit the debt limit. The treasury can't issue any more debt, can't issue any more bonds uh, net to increase the amount of debt outstanding. To pay all the bills, it's using so-called extraordinary measures, basically raiding uh, government pension plans and looking for you know cash under the uh, proverbial mattress. And the question is, when do they run out of that cash to pay bills on time? And I know, Bernard, you have an update on in, in terms of uh, your thinking on this. Bernard. Yeah, so we're we're still uh, point we're still looking at about uh, a mid August uh, X date or you know mid August. If lawmakers do absolutely nothing, it should be around mid August or sometime in August that uh, the Treasury would run out of the, these extraordinary measures. They would run out of cash on hand. Um, but it's going to be you know it's going to be a roller coaster ride from now till then. So over the next couple of uh, months or through through early April. Uh, the Treasury is really going to run down its cash on hand to dangerously low levels, probably less than 100 billion. Um, but fortunately, there, there's going to you have the timing of uh, Tax Day on April 18th, if I'm if I'm not uh, if I'm correct, um, and you're going to see a surge in tax payments around them, and that's going to give you know some life back to the Treasury. It's going to allow it um, you know give it some breathing room. You've got some. Further tax payments that come due. So a lot of uh, so people who don't normally uh, withhold their taxes or corporations, uh, they tip in mid June. You typically have a, another you know a brief surge in, in tax payments. You have some other one time one extraordinary measures that come into place so over the summer. Uh, the Treasury's headroom under the the debt limit is 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 more or less stable, but after you know come July. Uh, you, you know, it's 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 typically you, you, the 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 treasury typically runs a a, a, a meaningful deficit in that month, um, and then in early August uh, as well, um, and uh, you know it, it's by early August, I, I would say no later than early September. I, you know, it, it's it's very hard to see um, the treasury lasting much longer beyond them. And incidentally, you know, the, I think one of the la the coup de gras right before the treasury loses or like ex, uh, exhausts all extraordinary measures and um and cash is just a, a large uh interest uh payment that's due in the middle of <clears throat> august um and as we know it you know interest payments have have risen due to higher interest rates um and just a larger stock of debt so um that uh so, so there's there, there's there's a lot of uh there's a lot of um you know scenarios uh we were updating this based on the Congressional Budget Office, which just uh, published its ten-year projections. Um, uh, but you know, even the CBO, which has you know hundreds of economists really looking at this uh, closely, they still don't get their forecasts right. You know, the, on average, you know, their their forecasts of revenue and outlays are, you know, incorrect by two to five percent respectively, and their forecast errors have even risen in 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 this post-pandemic period. So. There's a lot of uncertainty, and it really all comes down to uh, tax season, which, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be as good as it was last year because of uh, last year the Treasury really benefited from uh, strong capital gains in 2021. This time around, stock prices, as we know, have, you know, really fell. Um, 
So it's you're you're going to have instead of capital gains, you're going to have capital losses. Um, so I don't see that really being, uh, you know, and we're, we're incorporating that, you know, the, uh, that expected de decline relative to last year. So if it was if it was anywhere as good as last year, then maybe I would say September, late early October. But it really seems like August uh, is will be the moment of truth for. So you think mid August, uh, for, uh, mid August, right yeah, when yeah. they have to make that debt payment. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's pretty consistent with uh, if you look at T bill the T bills. Yeah, T bill yields. Um, the, uh, from what I've seen, is uh, it seems like there's some there's a kink right around mid uh, mid August. So th uh, those that are maturing afterwards, uh, you know, are, are are commanding a higher yield than than those right before. So that, that's um, they seem those, to be those, in agreement. Those investors are thinking that they might not get paid on in might a not get way. paid. Yeah. Therefore, they're at, you know the demand for those bills is lower. Therefore, pushing up the yield. Uh, Relative to yeah. where, where it would be otherwise. Okay. One thing, once exactly. as you pointed out, there's a lot of scenarios. Uh, one scenario is that lawmakers, Congress, administration agree to a short-term suspension of the limit. You know, maybe for six weeks to kind of line it up with the budget process. Because the other thing mm -hmm. that has to happen by the end of September is there needs to be a piece of legislation funding the government. You know, the, in yeah. the next fiscal year, fiscal year 2024, and it. Um, uh, likely uh, lawmakers will want to line those two things up so that they can come to some kind of agreement, may maybe some kind of spending restraint, you know, for the Republican House to get them to get enough votes to increase or suspend the limit. Does that does that sound like a reasonable scenario to you? Yeah, it it, it seems like that that's a that's just going to happen. That, would, yeah. like it, that could happen. happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if they suspended it, I guess to October. Again, I, I'd have to to look at this, but I I would assume uh, because it's October first is when they would need to pass the next yeah, fiscal year budget. Right. Um, so that's the other uh, must. You know, that's another key deadline. You know, I, I think then we would be looking at another X date closer to you know November, December, and you know if, if at latest January. But it it would still be an issue uh, later. Oh, this oh year. because in the interim between mid August and say I would unless they really. Came up with some restrictions that the the treasury couldn't, you know, I see. boost its yep. cash balance uh, to an excessive yep. degree. They might so, be able to raise more cash in that interim, and that buys them yeah, a little bit yeah, more time. Exactly. You know, exactly. Like yeah. 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 Okay. Very interesting. But you know, in our baseline, we're assuming in no recession. We're assuming that lawmakers come to term terms on this in the nick of time. Mm -hmm. and it feels like the most logical or scenario to get there is. Is this where they mm -hmm. have to come up with a budget and they could impose some kind of restraint on spending relative to what's already in the budget? Mm -hmm. And uh, that would get enough votes from the House Republicans to actually su suspend or, or increase the limit. Exactly. You know, going yeah. Forward. Okay. Yeah. And I would assume that we probably have this, you know, the, these budget. These debt limits, uh, you know, this this debt limit issue could be, I, I think, might extend through the rest of this year. But I mean, come next year, I mean, it's a presidential year, so I don't think either party wants to, yeah, you, you know, play play politics with this with, with such a you know a, a scary economic issue like this. And so I would assume that, for, yeah. yeah. So I I would assume that at some point by the time we get to early next year, there there there's going to be some resolution to just push this past to twenty two thousand and five after the elections is done. And right, um, okay, but. Okay, fair enough. That was a good. Uh, thank you for that. And um, 
uh, you know, obviously we'll be spending a lot of energy on this uh, going forward. There's a lot of interest in, you know, mm-hmm. alternative scenarios. Suppose these guys don't sign on the dotted line, you know, in, in the nick of time, you know, what then, you know, what, what and again, there's a gazillion scenarios that can unfold here and we'll consider exactly, yeah. some of those, you know, going forward. Okay. Um, why don't we do this? Uh, you know, we're already, you know, I told you the hour and 10 minutes, <laughs> I think. We're I think it's close. longer. I think it's, it's pretty close. So I don't think we have time for listeners questions. We'll come back, but I, I do want to, cause we haven't done this in a few weeks, talk about recession odds again. And, you know, get mm. people's collective thinking around uh, what is the probability of recession over the next, Chris, should we just say the next 12 months, you know, so that would put us to early 2024, or would that be just kind of push forward the this uh, this uh, window that we're considering for recession? Or do you want to do something else? Do you want to- Why don't we that... say that through the first quarter of 24? Yeah. Uh, okay. Fair no. enough. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, why don't we say why right not here, March thirtieth, twenty twenty four? Okay, <laughs> why not? Why not? <laughs> okay, very good. Okay, so with that, let me let me turn to our guest, Bernard. Bernard, and I don't think I've ever asked you this question, but do you have a a sense of uh, uh, or do you have a view on the you know what the likelihood of a recession is starting between now and uh, the end of the first quarter of twenty twenty four? Little over a year. I'm, I, I, I'd say I'm basically in line. I think with the when we surveyed everyone in in, in the company, I'm more like forty to fifty percent. Forty uh, to fifty percent. Fifty percent. Yeah, somewhere. I, I maybe a four bit zero. Four zero. Four zero to, 50. to yeah to fifty yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I'm still of the view. I, I, I think maybe I was forty percent before this week. Maybe up to forty five this week. Uh, just because, you know, inflation may not be as as simple of of, of a problem to resolve, but. Um, I, I I still feel that the downward trend is is there. You know, I, I think we're gonna, especially with CPI, we're gonna get less shelter contribution. Wage growth seems to be coming down, um, and if we do get, you know, if, if I cannot, I think the labor market, I, I don't think it can be that strong uh, for too long, and um, and you know, I, I think the Fed may. Maybe they they raise another twenty five basis points more than we expect in. I think we're expecting through March. Maybe there's another one in, in another meeting, but I don't. I still don't see them going too too high up because they know that a lot of these disinflationary forces. I I, I think should gather steam later in, in the year. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Uh, Marissa, I'm still at fifty. Still, at, still 50. at fifty. Yeah. Okay. And really that's where you where you were a couple three weeks ago. The last time we did this exercise. Yeah, I've been there yeah. for a bit now. Yeah. And there's there's nothing that has happened that has has really changed my mind yeah okay yeah chris what do you think i think you were 60 percent, weren't you yeah i'll stick with 60 60 okay 60 and coming down though right well my my arrow's up now oh because of the inflation numbers oh and the growth numbers just january in general that's the january data in general puts the arrow up going up that's right yeah. Even with the revisions, it's still pretty strong. Yeah. I fear that yeah. will. I'm lower in mine, 45. Of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> really? Well, I've been at 50 for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm lower in mine to uh, 45%. I, I'm feeling more confident about navigating through. And, um, you know, I, I kind of gave you my sense of inflation. I feel more confident 
in the inflation outlook than I have for a long time. So I, I feel pretty good about that. Uh, but, you know, to Chris's point, uh, there's no room for error here. There's no uh, give if something else goes wrong. And goodness knows, you know, things happen. So uh, we're, we're still very vulnerable. And the Fed, hard to gauge. I agree with you, Bernard. I think they raised rates a couple more times, March, May, quarter point, put the funds rate in just north of five. You know, I wouldn't argue with anyone who said maybe they go three times, you know, quarter point mm -hmm. each time. I don't think I'd argue too hard. Uh, but no but, more 50 basis points, I wouldn't say. No, I think that's over. But uh, yeah. but I do, you know, here's the thing I do worry about. And this this goes to the way we framed the probably, you know, the period over which we are considering the probability of recession. I think there is a reasonable scenario where, you know, they, they raise a couple, three more times, stop. And then they figure out, well, inflation isn't coming, you know, back into the bottle completely. And we're going to have to raise rates some more. And they go to six on the funds rate or six and a quarter or six and a half. And then I think, you know, probability of recession will be over 50%. So if, if we extended the horizon, you know, not through the end of the first quarter of 2024, but through the end of 2024, I might say 55%, you know, something like that. So we need to start thinking about that, you know, as a possibility as well. Um, okay, very good. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, it, it was an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, that's a good workout. You know, again, everyone needs to work another five minutes longer. You know, just, you know, suck it up, you know, work out a little longer. Um, anything else anybody wants to add at this point? We're going to call it a podcast. Okay. Okay, very good. Well, thank you, dear listener, for listening in. And uh, we're going to call it a podcast and we'll talk to you next week. Take care now. <laughs>